Konnichiwa, this is Erica. Hey everyone, this is Freen, and we're smashing the patriarchy one episode at a time. Super Smash Hose. And today, before we get into our topic, we just wanted to put out a small trigger warning. Um, this episode, we're going to be discussing rape and sexual violence. So before we get into it, we just like to take a moment to pause here, um, let you skip this episode if you need to, or just put the warning here at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we also wanted to ex- express that we're, we really want to be careful with um you know, avoiding misinformation, and um, it's a sensitive topic, and we don't want to offend anyone. We're not trying to, um, you know, offend anyone or, yeah. So we just want to be really careful, and we'll do our best. Yeah, sometimes it's really hard when we're recording um, because we'll have a lot of ideas in our head, and even though we sometimes know how we want things to sound, when you listen back or when you listen to it, it doesn't always come out as clearly or like as we intended mm-hmm. it. So with this episode yeah. particularly, we just want to be really mindful of the fact that we aren't trying to be offensive or if anything ever comes out in a way that sounds slightly awkward or incorrect, like that's not our intention at all. Exactly. And um, today, so we are going to be talking about um, Ito Shiori-san and um, where should we begin? So yeah, why don't we begin by talking about who Ito Shiori-san is, um, why we're talking about her maybe? That sounds good. Yeah, so Shiori-san, Ito Shiori-san is a journalist, documentary filmmaker and um she is known for covering uh, gender-based and human rights issues. So Shiori Ito-san, I think like most easily is, um, like Erica said, she she's a journalist. She's known for her work in human rights and gender. Um, but another thing that she's kind of become the symbol of, especially in Japan, is um, Shiori Ito-san is like, the iconic symbol of the Me Too movement in Japan. Mm-hmm. Is that fair yes. to say? Yes, yeah. I would say so. And I think a lot of media well, and a lot of people associate the Me Too movement here with her. Yeah. So before oh, before getting into the Ito-san, I just thought in case um, anybody listening doesn't exactly know what the hashtag Me Too movement is, I would just quickly cover that. Um, Mm -hmm. So the hashtag MeToo went viral in 2018, um, but the term was first used in 2006 by Toronto Burke on MySpace. Um, And it was her, she's a sexual sexual assault survivor um, who had used MeToo to indicate that, you know, she, she, um, if every woman who had been a victim of sexual assault put Me Too on their status or on their wall, you would see how prevalent the issue is. So in 2018, after the Weinstein allegations um, started opening up in the US, Me Too went viral and it traveled around the world. Um, 
and everybody from activists to celebrities and ordinary ordinary people in the U.S. and Canada, the U.K. and India, Latin America started to take part in this hashtag Me Too movement. Um, so in Japan, I think Me Too didn't experience this same like viral moment up until mm-hmm. um, Shuri Sun entered the scene. Mm-hmm. And even after Shiori san entered the scene it's still not really the level of you know um the prevalence of the me too movement isn't the same as it is you know it it was or is in yeah yeah okay okay so what happened was in 2015 um so ito shiori san went for yeah with with, um yamaguchi and who he was at the time the washington um uh, the tbs washington divisions uh like head person yeah he was a senior television Um, and And a biographer for shinzo Mm -hmm. abe he wrote two books about the japanese prime minister um and he's also a close friend of the prime minister um and as Erica said before, uh, Shuri Ito is a journalist. Um, and so her and Yamaguchi-san um, met up in um, 2015 after work. Yeah. yeah. Discuss shushoku opportunities. And afterwards, um, they, yeah, they both... Um, I'm looking at a article from Jcast. Um, here it says that they were both intoxicated. They were, they had drinks, and then um, she, when she was, when she realized what was happening, she realized that she was unconscious for a while. She woke up in a hotel room, and she found herself in a situation where this man Yamaguchi was raping her um yeah so Ito-san after the the rape occurred um she went to um a police station to report uh the crime that had just happened um and so there's a really good article well it's not really an article it's on the BBC um, and it's Shuri Ito-san in her own words um, explaining what had happened right. when she went to the poli- when she went to the police to report about um, the rape. And I think um, it's really I would recommend everyone go and read read it because compared to a lot mm-hmm. of things about Ito-san, this is something that's in her words. Um, but when she arrived at the police office, uh, she asked to speak to a female officer to report a crime. Um, and she was told that a female officer couldn't be produced unless she expressed why a female officer was needed. Um, mm-hmm. When she finally told the police officers that she had been raped, they provided her a female officer um, to who she gave her grueling story um, of what had happened to her before uh, with Yamaguchi-san. Um, and after Ito-san told her story to this officer the officer said that she couldn't take her statement as she was merely a traffic officer and not a sex crime officer 
and that she would have to retell the story um, to a sex crime officer. And then again, there were some issues that Shuri Sen had with the cops. Um, but all in all, throughout that experience, she was basically persuaded, or not persuaded, they were attempting to convince her to drop her claims or to drop her charges and not pursue this because Yamaguchi son was someone who was um, considered like of power and also that it's not something that generally like rape in Japan is not something that generally prosecutors um, have had success fighting for. Mm -hmm. Um, And right. And also she was after um, she went to talk to the police, she was taken to a gym after what had happened and she was made to lie on top of a mattress where there was a life-size doll was um which was placed on top of her and um she had to explain to the three officers that were present all the details of what happened that evening which is just so horrible i can't even find the words to describe I, and they took photos of her too in that yeah um, yeah no i i can't even begin to think about how you know they talk about after rape revictimization yeah. just telling your story i mean second rape, to tell yeah. her story three times and then on top of that she had to physically act it out with a yeah. like thinking about it's that so crazy gives me chills um, yeah. And by the way, I don't know if we made this clear at the beginning. Um, Yamaguchi-san and Ito-san met in 2015, and that's when this incident happened, was in 2015, just to be clear. Um, I'm not sure if we had said that, and that is when she yeah. went to the police, was in 2015. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so she, it happened in 2015, but in 2017, on May 29th, uh, she decided to go public and reveal her name and her face to the Japanese press. And she said, um, so in the BBC article, she says that I did this because I felt we needed to talk about the problems in our society around sexual assault. I feel I felt we needed to change our legal system and social attitude. And I wanted to pressure parliament to pass an amendment to Japan's 110 years old rape laws. Um, so and yeah, it was really brave of her. It was really brave of her, and I'm just gonna step back um, to 2015 for a moment. Uh, mm-hmm. I know we're kind of jumping around a lot. I'm sorry for people listening. It's just one of those things that there's so many layers to this story, um, and it's really hard to do this linear because a lot of information didn't actually come out in like mm-hmm. a linear timeline fashion. So sorry if throughout this episode there's some like jumping back and forth. Um, but so I'm referring to some information that was written in an article by Jake Adelstein and um, Mari Yamamoto. And the article is called uh, Japan's Hashtag Me Too Hero Rape Victim Shiori Ito Wins Against Japan's Powerful Weinsteins. Um, this is by far one of the best like most detailed articles I've read about Ito-san's case, like Chef's Kiss, um, they really, they really went detailed in this. Um, 
and it's just really good journalism. But in this piece, um, Jake and Yamamoto-san talk about how in 2015, on June 8th, so this is the same year that the rape happened after sh- before Shuri Ito-san went public, but after she went to the cops, that the police had a warrant to arrest Yamaguchi-san at Narita Airport. Um, and they were on their way to do that when they were stopped by what people in Japan call Abe's attack dog. Not a real dog. Um, a high-level bureaucrat close to the shitty prime minister. Um, and so the Japanese police were stopped and told not to act on their warrant to arrest Yamaguchi. Um, and he was let go. Um, and, you know, this kind of actions isn't particularly surprising. Like, if you know anything about the Japanese prime minister, Abe has a bit of a history of obstructing justice and shredding documents and kind of yes. just being shitty. Um, but what is interesting about this is that this was in 2015, and um, this was when there was going to be a criminal case against him, and that obviously didn't go through. It wasn't prosecuted because um, the prime minister or the prime minister's attack dog got involved, um, and that's why in 2017, Ito-san came out publicly with her story because this had basically been suppressed or her, her condition had been suppressed. Mm-hmm. And even though, so in the recent um, uh, victory, uh, Ito-san, where she won in the civil court case, so she was um, asking for, I think, how, how much was it originally what I she was asking was for around seventy thousand pounds um sorry i don't know it in yen i think it was around yeah. seven thousand pounds and what she was awarded was thirty thousand pounds yeah i think it was three million yen is what she was well. awarded but i yeah. don't remember what her uh what what she went into court asking yeah but it was all lot less than what she would what she had asked for and a lot of people point that out but I think it's also important to note that like the fact that she even won is a really really big step forward for Japan yeah I mean even though it's not enough yeah since Ito-san came forward in 2017 um like there have been monumental I mean monumental is not the right word incremental changes but they have mm-hmm. been um meaningful so three weeks after she spoke out um parliament amended a 110 year old rape law and they increased the minimum jail sentence um from three years to five years for rape i would like to like put a little caveat on that though that's still less time than a burglar would face in jail yeah but it, it is still meaningful that that was there raised. is change, yeah. Also, in April of 2018, um, the Japanese finance minister, Junichi Fukuda, resigned after an anonymous woman came forward with sexual assault allegations. Um, and that woman said that she was inspired to come forward directly by Ito-san. So mm-hmm. while her court case, like monetary victory may not have been enormous, like, you know, 30,000 pounds is not a lot. What she has done for Japanese society um, 
is huge yeah yeah Yeah. I think it's also important to know that um well I wasn't in Japan in 2015 I believe or was it yeah I think it was 2015 I'm not sure um or at least when she came um in 2017 yeah when she came um public public about this um case I wasn't here so I'm not sure what the media coverage like on tv was like here but um I've heard from people who were living here at the time that there wasn't much media coverage um there was a lot of online articles and there are still a lot of online articles but in terms of like tv broadcasting there's not a there's not a lot and even like the past few weeks I haven't really seen that much on tv and people have like you know pointed that out as well and um I think I've doing research for this recording um I've seen a lot of headlines in Japanese written um news um platforms say that you know the Washington Post or like all these foreign media are bashing um or not exactly well yeah bashing or they're highlighting how Japan's a very patriarchal society and that the government is also very supportive of it and yeah so even though it's a big push her victory is a big push for Japanese society it's still there's still a really big gap between I think people who are passionate about these issues and vocal about them and the rest of the population it's interesting that you bring up um media because yeah after um after Shiro Ito-san came out in 2017 um we've talked about this shitty person before on the podcast uh Sugata Mio Sugita Mio, mm-hmm. sorry, who is a um, LDP, so she works for Shinzo Abe's cabinet. Um, she is a woman, but she is a pretty shitty, for lack of a better term, woman. Um, we've spoken about her before, but she claimed that Ito-san was a failure of a woman after she came out. Um, she defended Yamaguchi-san publicly and she also blamed Shuri Ito for being out drinking with a man at night. Um, and she said this all in media and in tweets. And, um, you know, I think a lot of negative attention was direct. At, um, also, just to say that in 2017, um, this was also before I was living in Japan. Um, it was before I had any interest in Japanese politics or um, Japanese feminism. So take what I'm saying with a grain of salt because it's stuff that I'm reading about. I'm reading about the past in the present, um, just as Erica mm-hmm. said, like, because I wasn't living in Japan at this time and it was before I was interested in Japan, I wasn't keeping up with this. Um, mm-hmm. But from what I have read is that um, Japanese media had put basically a very negative attention on Ito-san after she came out in 2017. Um and that forced her to relocate to the to London, UK. Um, and even after she won her case last week, or this week, I guess, um, yeah. she gave a press conference for the Mainichi newspaper. And at that press conference, it was posted online on the Mainichi website. 
And the comments to that press conference have been muted because they were so horrendous in nature. Um, so you can't, there are no comments on the Mainichi version of that press conference anymore. But if you look at that same press conference uploaded on YouTube or on other sites, uh, there are absolutely terrible comments. Like, um, they're so vile that I don't even think I can, like, speak them. But they, yeah. it's, it's a lot of men alluding to the fact that she got what she deserved or that they would like to do the same thing to her or that she's loud and that she's, you know, causing problems. Um, and that that is more on the, like, less terrible side of the comments. But she has, like, since speaking out, it's not it's not like she was met with a lot of people saying, yay, you're fighting for women or like it wasn't a warm embrace she has more than Mm -hmm. anything been met with negative attention and a lot of negativity and hostility from from the government from most of the media and most twitter and everything most of twitter yeah yeah um yeah i think i mean obviously you know rape happens everywhere and it's not like um there aren't people who react like this in other countries too but I think looking at you know what wherever like UK or more western countries like America that I'm familiar with um I think there's always a lot more support than there was with her case here yeah the interesting thing um Going back to why Itosan matters so much in in this case is like as you said, like rape isn't you know an isolated phenomenon. It doesn't happen in one country and not happen in another. But mm-hmm. you know, Japan is an economically developed country. It's an OECD country. It's one of the largest GDPs in the world. By all measures, it should be a country that that doesn't have like such intense problems with gender equality and sexual assault um but like one one survey indicated that 95 percent of sexual assault victims in japan never report their crime to the police um another study said 60 so differing results but still whether it's 95 or 60 percent that is still a huge majority of women who aren't reporting um mm-hmm. they're they're raped to the police um and and if they do uh, report, they're discouraged to do so. Um, yeah. So there's another story that another article that Jake Adelstein and Mary Yamamoto wrote called Does Japan Ever Convict Men of Rape? I um, mean, in that story, they chronicle um, or in that article, sorry, they chronicle the story of an American researcher at a Japanese university named Laura mm-hmm. Curtis. Um, and they talk about Laura Curtis's story um, and her story you know, mirrors a lot of what Ito-san experienced, especially with what happened when she was attempting to report her crime to the police, how they, you know, made her relive over and over again her experiences, um, how they blamed her for drinking, and also how they pressured her consistently to drop the charges. And I think that's a common feature of, like, Japanese um, or what happens with rape in Japan and, mm-hmm. you know, this pressure to drop the charges 
And so why Ito-san is so important is that she was one of those women who who just kept fighting. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's interesting because when I think of the Japanese judicial system, when someone's convicted of a crime and they're like taken to the police station, I think there's a lot of like vice or vice type you know, videos on YouTube about this, about how they, I'm so scared of going to prison in Japan. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Um, (laughs) About how they, you know, you know, keep you um, in the interrogation room, um, you know, where it's like cold. And even if you have like some kind of illness, they don't get, you know, give you um, appropriate, like, care yeah basically yeah basically and they physically and mentally pressure you into um admitting to a crime even if you didn't commit it and i think the 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 rate that people so out of the people who are convicted of a crime the people who admit to a crime are very very high like it's like over 90 percent i believe Mm -hmm. it's like 99 percent i think um and so thinking about that and then thinking about the case with sexual assault it's a lot it's yeah. very different right it's very different so like in cases when an arrest is made for sexual so first of all an arrest for sexual assault like basically doesn't happen but in the case that it does happen um more than half of those charges are dropped by prosecutors because um, Japanese law says that rape cases without bodily injury um, require that the victim file for charges because then it's without physical proof of violence or an attempt of physically fighting back. Um, prosecutors won't take rape as a crime, um, which is something that's really weird to think about because rape isn't always physically violent. Like, I think there's this. Yeah there's this image of what we think rape is supposed to look like but rape isn't this one type of thing um you know people freeze up there's there's a lot of reasons that people might not fight back and this might not sound super weird in isolation but if you take um the canadian law or uk law or most of european law um in comparison the way rape is described in those legal contexts is that any non-consexual sex is considered a crime. Whereas in Japan, non-consexual isn't necessarily rape. Non-consensual, rape has to be accompanied with violence. Yeah, I don't think there's even a mention of consent in the Japanese law. No, there isn't a, yeah, that's the other thing. There isn't, the word consent doesn't appear um, in Japanese law. And the other, another really interesting thing is Japanese rape law only acknowledges women as potential yeah, victims. Exactly. Men can't be raped in Japan. Right. I, th- I thought that changed a few years ago. I think, I thought that was the case. Let me and do a quick I, Google. Yeah, because I think before it used to be. It had to be on, um, like... My article, if anybody no, no, just no. heard my phone drop. No But problem. I'll just check that right now so we don't yeah. have... Because um... I used to think that, too. 
maybe i don't know um is it i feel like i need to do like a little bit more research but i did yeah, read that okay, okay. Uh, the article that i read was from 2015 that said that men okay. could be raped so that could have changed it's been four years um okay well as but, of 2015 that's the case right yeah as of so in 2015 the case was that men um couldn't be victims of rape under Japanese law um and that's so weird when I'm typing in men rape Japanese law I'm getting stuff about Shiori Ito like the only thing right now yeah and and that speaks to it like that speaks to how big of an impact she's had that yeah in the three days since her case has happened she is one of the only only people tied to the keyword rape and Japan because there is mm-hmm. such little information about or it's like a taboo like there's just nothing about this on the internet yeah yeah that's what I found too I was trying to look at other look for other cases to talk about like precedents yeah. but they're really no well, it's, at least it's precedent. hard to find you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's another and, thing she mm-hmm. is but go ahead um it's interesting what you brought up about the rape laws and i'm not sure if it's changed either but um i was looking at the uh john police department's um website and Mm -hmm. there is um in japanese there is um a website uh page titled like what to do when you encounter sexual assault Hmm. and there there are like a lot of drawings and like pictures of women women looking sad and like it's just this clearly sends a message that you know that women are the only victims of rape and sexual assault and it's just really sad because like obviously it doesn't just happen to women and well, the other interesting thing, um, not about Shuri Ito's case, but about the the Laura Curtis case, which I mentioned briefly yeah. before, was when she went to the police, um, they kept trying, you know, she had described the man who had raped her or sexually assaulted yeah. her as a salary man. Um, she said, you know, he looked Japanese. And the officers kept saying to her, are you sure he wasn't gaijin? Are you sure he wasn't a foreigner? Are you sure he wasn't drunk? Maybe he was Chinese or Korean. And she said no, he was definitely Japanese. And it was this kind of idea that they'll blame anybody but but the rapist, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, Sugidemio, well, it's Ito's fault for being out at night drinking. Yeah. The police, oh, it, it has to be a gaijin. A Japanese guy wouldn't do this. Or, yeah. you know, I don't know. It, it just doesn't seem that there's like responsibility like we get upset I got upset about the Brock Turner case in the US when I thought he didn't receive um a long enough jail sentence right and like at least he Mm -hmm. went to jail most Japanese men assaulted of rape never go to jail yeah and even if they're yeah convicted yeah, like we talked about, you know, that case where um, the father was raping her, his daughter for 
we haven't talked about it on the podcast. A long time. You can, I think, yeah, you can reiterate yeah, that. And then, um, I don't remember the details, so I think it's better if you look it up. But, um, so it was, um, he, yeah, so he was convicted, and I'm not sure if it was, I think it was criminal court, right? Um, I don't think it was criminal court. I think it was civil court. Was um, um, anyways, he was convicted, he was tri- tried in court, who knows how long his daughter and um he so he was found yeah they yeah, he was sorry. found not guilty um yeah he was found not guilty they said he did sexually abuse her but he was not guilty um which sounds like a paradox so this happened in N- nagoya yeah. and this was march of this past year um Oh, it was criminal law. You're right. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not civil law. Um, and they are the prosecutors argued that it was extremely difficult for the daughter to resist the rape. Um, and she had been of like because it was her father, mm-hmm. right? Like she couldn't physically resist. Um, but the defense maintained that it was like consensual and that she'd like been she couldn't fight or be resisted. But obviously not. Like if you're groomed, like if you're a ch- like you're a child and you're being groomed yeah right this is like your formidable years you're not going to you're not going to know to physically fight back because you're being taught that this is okay um but yeah the court said that there's reasonable doubt that the victim was in the state of not being able to put up a resistance like physically she could have but mentally like if you think about it like from a psychology point of view she was being groomed, yeah. right? Like we talk about like child predators grooming yeah. children. So the court said he wasn't guilty because there's reasonable doubt that the victim was in a state of not being able to resist, which I get. Yeah, she probably could have physically resisted, but that just shows you the fallacy of this law because it's assuming that in cases where people are groomed or manipulated or if they're coerced yeah. that counts as rape Crazy. Yeah, i think we can Ugh. we could go on um but um going back to to um Shiori-san's case so yeah what she did was you know she challenged the social norm in japan of you know not speaking up and um and i don't know there's just so so much to this and she she you know created this precedent and so that's going going to hopefully motiv- motivate other victims of assault and rape um to go to court and try to seek you know justice so i hope um, more people this encourages more people to speak up about it and I also I think it's um, I wanted to mention her other work because although like this is a very important um, I feel like it's kind of overshadowing her other work as well um, she has a website called shiodiito.com and so you can look at her other work if you're interested. 
And so she creates a lot of other documentary films um, about a lot of different um, topics. Like, I think she was just in Africa, in in somewhere in Africa. I don't want to say she was in Africa because obviously yeah. there's multiple countries. She was somewhere in Africa recently filming about um, FGM, mm. female genital mutilation. She was doing a documentary on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she's written a book as yeah, well, yeah, hasn't that, she? Oh, yeah, called Black Box was published and that in in there she wanted uh she talked about this um criminal court case and I think she and I haven't read the book yet actually I really um and for those who don't speak Japanese the book has actually been translated yeah like I know English Swedish I'm not sure about other languages but I think there's a lot of it's yeah translated in a lot of other languages so you should definitely check it out if you want you're interested um but yeah and she's worked with um for documentaries she's worked with like yahoo bbc cna al jazeera mm-hmm. vice economist there's a bbc documentary called like the sh- the secret shame of japan or japanese hold on let me find the actual name yeah, um the, the article right there so it's the article is based uh, okay. off of it, but she was actually in a oh, book. Right. So BBC actually made, it's called Japan Secret mm-hmm. Shame. Um, and it's a BBC documentary. The annoying thing is it's not on BBC iPlayer. So you have to, I think because it just released uh, okay. recently, it's not online yet. But they are like, they have dates on when they're airing it on television. So if you have BBC at your house, you can like right. check the schedule of when they're going to air it next. And Probably in a month or two, it'll be right. available online, as most BBC original documentaries. Yeah, and the are. article published, um, which anyone can access, is titled "So Japan's Secret Shame: Shiori Ito, Japan's Attitudes to Allegations of Sexual Violence Are Locked in the Past." So that's a really good, like Farine said, it's a really good thorough article that um, uses a lot of, you know, her voice, which I think is really important. So definitely check mm-hmm. that out. And talking about her voice, there's also an interview on YouTube. It's only about eight minutes long, but it's really great. Again, um, it's called Shuri Ito, The Woman Who Changes Japanese Law on Her Own. Um, it, It's amazing okay. listening to this. And then other things that I really enjoyed reading that I've mentioned a few times in this episode um, both of the articles on the Daily Beast by Jake mm-hmm. Adelstein and um, Mari Yamamoto. There's quite a few about the Ito case, but there's also some about just rape in general in Japan. Yeah. Um, and their articles are just really, really well done, like super thorough, super mm-hmm. detailed. And to add to that, she also co-founded a, a documentary production company called what uh, Hanashi. And yeah, wow, I didn't know and that. so on the website, it's hanashifilms.com. It says, uh, We believe in true storytelling. Uh, Hanashi Films is a young documentary production company founded by Hannah Akvillen. I hope I'm saying her name right. And Shiori Ito, the blend name Hanashi, uh, means story in Japanese, also symbolizes the main backbone of the company, which are always striving to shed light on gender-based human rights issues around the world so yeah check that out as well wow yeah. 
Um, and I think before ending this episode, um, so one thing that Shuri Ito mentioned that um, I think is really important to kind of end this episode mm-hmm. with is um, when she... Um, sorry. When in 2015, she called... Um, a rape crisis center online to talk yes, about what had happened yeah. to her. Um, there was, you know, one person on duty that was serving. That one person was meant to serve um, all of Tokyo. Crazy. Right? So that's a 13 million population. There was one person there. Um, but that was in 2015. And I think resources are important and there are resources out there. Like in that case for Ito-san, there, there wasn't. There was, you know, that one person but I think things are changing and there are there are resources out there so for just resources if anyone wants to know um so I I found the Tokyo Rape Crisis Center which apparently there's it's run by um women who get training for six months um and who volunteer for this and it's run there are 15 members um on their staff and they do their telephone counseling services available twice a week which isn't a lot but I think that's because it's done by volunteering um and then there's also if you're if you're more comfortable in speaking in Japanese there's a crisis center called rape crisis loads um hold on okay so um they're available from Monday to Friday from 2 to 5 p.m. and um every th- every third Saturday from 10 to 12 it's a a bit of an odd schedule but you can also talk to them anonymously and you, um it's not just for yeah um yeah i feel like in the this other episode thing is, I- mm-hmm. oh sorry i feel yeah. Oh, no, I was going to say, um, I know that a lot of our our audience are students or, or they're younger, they're in school, they're in university. And if you are, um, you know, it, it might be worth looking at what the reporting systems are like in yeah. your schools, because um, they aren't always great. They're like, not. is there a place for victims to go to? Um, what is the support system offered by your school? Can you help, you know, improve that? Is If this is something that you care about, um, in what ways can you, you know, get together with faculty or create a better reporting system at your school, create a better um, support system at your school for victims Thank of sexual assault? Me. Because a lot of us I are, I think a, me and Erica obviously are in school right now, and a lot of our listeners are in school. Um, so, we might not be able to change all of society. Like you might not be able to change Japan overnight, but if you're spending four years in an institution, I'm sure there are ways um, that you can get involved in whatever um, sexual assault, gender-based groups there are on campus. And if there aren't any, you know, you can help make one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's really important. I, I wish I had gotten involved with that earlier on. This is my last semester at uni, and I feel like, yeah, 
I think that's something worth thinking about if you're a student, for sure. And I think in this episode overall, we talked a lot about what happened, um, you know, with her case. And sometimes, yeah, like Farine said earlier, we were a bit hesitant talking about it because we don't want to get anything wrong, offend anyone. But I hope this um, was interesting and insightful to listen to. Please let us know if there are any other topics you would like us to cover. Do you have anything else? Yeah, yeah. thank you guys so much for listening. Um, like we said at the beginning of the episode, like Erica just said, we really did try our best. Um, this one was a bit emotional and it was kind of hard. We also didn't want to seem like we were just reiterating her story because her story is out there. You can read what happened. But we also wanted to point out why what she did was so brave, was so important, how, you know, there's so many ways in which what she's done has and hasn't changed Japanese society. And I think we wanted to focus more on that than just yeah. what happened to Ito-san because that's out there. And obviously we need to talk, we needed to talk about it, but I think we wanted to focus on really the wider rape culture in Japan and how that's changing because right. of her. Yeah, and I think we can talk about it more in depth in general future too but we just wanted to highlight this case is such a it is such a you know big um um you know piece of news um that happened this week yeah. and thank you Ito-san, for being yes brave thank you for all of us if you're listening <laughs> if you're listening if not i'm just putting it out into the universe um thank you <laughs> but yeah and see you guys in the next episode.